Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. There's a real dark dynamic laid out in historian Margot Kennedy's new book, Queer Career, Sexuality, and Work in Modern America. Through interviews with people who were there, the book covers queer people in the workplace starting in the 60s. And I would have figured that if some bigoted boss found out one of their workers was queer, they'd just fire that worker. Instead, according to Kennedy, what would often happen is that the boss would use that information as a way of exploiting the queer worker, paying them less, making them do stuff other workers they don't want to do, etc. Kennedy spoke with NPR Stacey Venick-Smith about that dynamic, but also about how, in spite of all that, queer people did find meaning and worth in their jobs. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. In Margot Kennedy's new book, Queer Career, Sexuality and Work in Modern America, Kennedy explores how LGBTQ workers' sexuality shaped their professional lives and looks at this idea of work in the U.S., both in terms of the economic opportunity and community it can offer and also the abuse and oppression that can happen in the workplace. Margot, you start your book out talking to people who are working roughly between 1960 and 1990. This was a moment right after some truly harrowing McCarthy-era purges of gay people from government jobs. Why did you focus on this moment in history? So um, I think when the public in general thinks about the history of queer people at work, most of that tends to to center around the Lavender Scare, and justifiably so. This is this really extreme moment in the mid-20th century related to McCarthyism when gays and lesbians are purged from, from the civil service. And it's vicious, it's very dramatic, it's a brutal period. But it, that, that sort of notion of the Lavender Scare, I think, has led us to think about employment during these years for gay people as characterized by deep hiding. But one of the things that I that surprised me as I was doing the research for my book is that it was not uncommon that people said to me, oh, my boss knew about me, and yet they continued on in their jobs. And so I started to look for that. And what I found was employers, rather than wanting to push these workers away or get them off of their payroll, were keen to take advantage of the vulnerability that these people brought to their jobs because, I mean, these are workers who could be paid less. They would tolerate work that other people wouldn't. Because they were grateful to, like, have a job. Exactly. They felt less employable. They Yes, they felt less employable, and they were less employable. You interviewed, I think, more than 100 people for, for your book. 150, yeah. 150, uh, all over the country in all different kinds of professions. Um, mm-hmm. There's one clip that you did pull uh, of a man talking about, about his career. Do you mind kind of setting this quote up and talking about why you picked it, why this one spoke to you? So this is a, a man who worked for Eastern Airlines, his homosexuality was discovered by Eastern Airlines fairly early on, and he 
expected to be fired and wasn't, but he knew it changed how he moved through the company. And he kept a position as a customer service representative rather than moving up in, in the company and having you know a cup of coffee or something with my informant and basically asking him, why, why are you still in this job? Like, yeah. don't you want anything more? And his answer to me was so powerful. What's in one of your plans for the future? And I said, um, I'm happy in what I do. And I'm not a big achiever like my brother is. And, uh, you know, I'm satisfied. You know, it made me feel bad to say that because I wasn't. You know, I wanted more, but I didn't feel like I could have more, you know, as a gay man. I mean, I've always felt like people in our community have to curb themselves in so many ways. I mean, that that is, to me, I think one of the strongest themes that came through. So many people said that. They talked about curbed ambition and setting their sights lower and not pushing up the ladder because it was a risk. So if the higher up you went in the ladder, is it that you became more visible going up the ladder, getting a promotion? Why did that make people more vulnerable? Well, I think there are a few things going on. I mean, one is simply, you know, for the jobs that require security clearance, Mm -hmm. Uh, actually, this is fascinating. My my partner Rachel went through that in the in the eighties. Uh, she was a staffer on Capitol Hill, and she needed a security clearance for something for an investigation the congressman was working on. And she put in her application for the security clearance. Didn't think anything of it. She got a, a phone call from the Department of Defense one day saying, "You need to come over for this interview." And she, you know, sat down and these DOD investigators said, you know, we've learned that you have homosexual tendencies. Uh, what do you want to tell us about that? Oh my God. And she just kept saying, oh, I'm just a normal girl. I'm just a normal girl. I'm just a normal girl. She's completely flipped out. And she went back to her office and immediately, you know, went to see her congressman and came out to him and said, do you need me to resign my position? And Fortunately, he said no, and he was supportive. I talked to other people in, in the course of my research who the congressperson they worked to said, yeah, get your stuff and get get out. Well, it seems like a lot of what you were talking about in the book sounded very familiar to me in terms of discrimination at work, race discrimination, mm-hmm. gender discrimination. But there seems it's a little different in that there's this aspect of, of secrecy and hiding. I suppose I thought that that would mean it would be easier, right? Because you just don't talk about your sexuality and you don't have to deal with the discrimination at work. But that really was not the case. I think, you know, queerness is a lot more visible than we often acknowledge. And and not only because there is, for some people, an association between being gay and gender nonconformity, but if you think about certain moments historically, for example, in the mid-20th century, Marital rates were so high that not being married past a certain age was itself a sign that there was something unusual and and perhaps queer about you. And you did talk you talked to people who did get married or had like a a marital arrangement in order to deal with that. Yeah, one man he said to me, "This was like putting on my tie and catching the early train into New York. It was just part of being an ambitious man." But my, my favorite story about the, the marital imperative, 
was a guy I heard about who was a, an advertising executive in, in the 1960s in New York as kind of a madman sort of um, oh, yeah. setting. He was on track to be a name partner of, of the agency, and he was living a, a kind of active gay life on the side in Greenwich Village. His partners in the advertising agency said, before we can name you as a partner, we just need you to get married. And they used a headhunter to, to find him a wife, which is hilarious. Yeah. And she, she herself was an advertising executive at a rival agency. So. What do you think the effect was on the careers of LGBTQ workers over these decades? One thing that I think is important is work as a site of exploitation and vulnerability. But I also want to hold on to work as a place where people in general and LGBT people too find meaning and community and culture and belonging. Uh, I'm thinking of butch lesbians in the 1950s who had factory jobs and, you know, rode their Harley Davidsons to their factory jobs and went to their jobs wearing men's clothes and kept pictures on their workbenches of their girlfriends and and what those jobs meant for those women's sense of self. And that was part of why employers didn't care was because in those settings they were they were getting basically women who were doing men's jobs for women's wages. Um, so there it is. I mean it's the kind of that mixture of exploitation and also meaning and community and identity that's all kind of wrapped up what are you hoping people will take away from this book? I, I feel like we're in a moment where understanding this history matters. And, you know, we're in a weird moment that I would not have anticipated. And I think we've moved into a pretty extreme backlash. And, you know, I mean, the optimist in me thinks this will be short-lived, that this is an illustration of that adage that a dying mule kicks the hardest. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like it's, my book matters more than I thought it would five years ago Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I was writing it. And I was like, ah, this is like, whatever. We're, we're post-gay. It's like, <laughs> you know, who's going to care about this? But I care because I care about history. But I don't know. It's uh, really hard to process what it all means. Margot Kennedy, author of Queer Career. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear... 
it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.